Good morning, Bethel. How are y'all doing? Really? Come on, you can do better than that. <laughs> this week we just had our uh, VBS, and uh, each morning I would greet everyone and say, How are you? Are you guys excited for today? And they would be like, Yes! And I'd be like, Oh, come on, do better than that. And they would just like scream so loud that uh, I, could, I saw a few leaders like plug their ears. They were like, God is in control. Um, if you walk away with anything today, if you walk away a little bit different today, I want you to understand this, that I'm thankful and express my gratitude when I understand God is in control. And the antithesis of that is I'm not thankful, I don't express my gratitude, and I'm in control. So today's message uh, in Psalm 75, which Haley there so eloquently read, um, is that. So my name is Nate Palmatier. I'm the director of NextGen here, so that really means that I look after the kids and the youth. Um, throughout the week, we've had an amazing few weeks with nearly 150 kids between our two camps. And then we also had a junior high, senior high camp that uh, I spent three days, three? Uh, I'm still exhausted, apparently. I spent three days with... Uh, you know, uh, junior highs and senior highs, each of the days were about 14 hours. The one day was 20 hours, and it was amazing. It was absolutely amazing uh, to spend so much time with those kids. Um, but needless to say, it's been an exciting couple of weeks. I'm exhausted. But even in all that, we know that God is in control. Amen? Amen. Amen. So excited to be here this morning, bringing God's word to you. Uh, if you're here for the first time, welcome. Thanks for coming out. And, uh, or if you've been coming many times, thank you for coming back to an amazing morning. And why is this morning amazing? Why is Sunday amazing? Because you get to gather together corporately and worship the Lord. It's a time that you don't get to do that during the week, um, unless you have bigger groups that you guys hang out with, which is cool. Um, but it's an exciting morning. There's breath in our lungs. Our hearts are beating. And uh, the Lord is good. Uh, we'd love you to open your Bibles right now. So open them up. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one there uh, in front of you under your seat or open up your phone apps, although I would prefer that you open up a Bible. No judging, no judging. Um, hit Proverbs, uh, or sorry, not Proverbs, Psalm 75. If you've hit Proverbs, you've gone too far. Um, if you're at Esther or Job, just go a little further and you'll land there. So this summer we've been venturing through Psalms as we do each summer. And this is my fourth summer doing this, which I can't really believe, but it is the fourth summer I've done this now. And Psalms are one of my favorite areas of the Bible, and I often find myself just captivated by the writer of Psalms. And there's many times I find myself wondering, what is the writer trying to get across here? And Psalm 75 is one of those Psalms where my initial read through, I was like, what? Okay, I gotta, gotta speak on this? Cool. Um, <laughs> So I want to break down what we'll be reading through today, and then we're going to get into each part a bit deeper. And our hope is that you're captivated by God and the inspiration that he gave to the psalmist to write this. Uh, but before we do that, I'd like to pray for this morning, pray for the word that we'll be digging into, and pray that we would listen intently. And not necessarily to um, go by Mr. Nathan during the week. You can call me Mr. Nathan. Nate, but not necessarily to me, but what is God saying to you today? And what is God's word saying to your heart? So let's pray. 
Father in heaven, we gather today to honor you, Lord. To proclaim your promises, your grace, and all that you've done. Lifting you up through song and praise. We praise you today and ask that this not just be another Sunday, Lord. That this be a day where we walk away renewed. It's filled up to take on the coming week. We thank you, Lord, for the communion of the saints that we're able to gather this way and proclaim aloud what you've done. We ask you, Lord, to forgive us of the times that we slip up and we fall for indulgences or in the sin over what you've actually called us to, which is pure hearts and pure minds. And so we ask you today, Lord, the God of the universe, that you would help us see you today that the words of my mouth, that the meditations of my heart would solely rest on you, Lord. Guide us through this. Guide me through this, Lord. Help give me the words to say that are not from me, but are from you. Amen. So let us read through the psalm, and then we'll break it down after and walk through portions of it in a deeper way. All right, so Psalm 75. For the director of music, to the tune of Do Not Destroy, a psalm of Asaph, a song. So right out the bat, it says, to the tune of Do Not Destroy. So it was actually, there was a song or hymns that they sang in ancient times, and um, commentators don't know what that song was, but you could imagine if it was like to the tomb of like Metallica or something like that, this is what you would sing it to. Um, so it's a song by Asaph. So we praise you, God. We praise you for your name is near. People tell of your wonderful deeds. You sing. I choose the appointed time. It is I who judge with equity. When the earth and all its people quake, it is I who hold its pillars firm. To the arrogant, I say, boast no more. To the wicked, do not lift up your horns. Do not lift your horns against heaven. Do not speak so defiantly. No one from the east or the west or from the desert can exalt themselves. It is God who judges. He brings down he exalts another. In the hand of the Lord is a cup. It's full of foaming wine mixed with spices. He pours it out and all the wicked of the earth drink it down to its very dregs. As for me, I will declare this forever. I will sing praise to God of Jacob who says, I will cut off the horns of all the wicked, but the horns of the righteous will be lifted up. So here's how the psalm breaks down quickly. So verse 1 is actually giving thanks to God. And the reminder of the psalm is that we see the psalm through a lens. Or this reminds us, at the beginning of the song, we need to see the rest of the psalm through the lens of thankfulness. You see, we can often have this clouded view of life and who God is and everything that's going on around us when we're not looking through the, light, the right lenses. When you're not looking through the psalm the right way, your vision is going to be clouded for what the rest of the psalm is saying. This past week has been amazing for me. 75 kids coming out to come to our VBS, and we, we actually capped it at 60, and we were overflowing, and we had to turn people away. It's been such a joy to teach what it means to pray, what it means to read God's Word, how their faith can be strengthened. But this week has been terrible for me as well. My dad is dying of cancer, and I found that out on my birthday. 
So they're at these polar opposite ends, finding on my birth, on my birthday, my dad has cancer and he's not doing well. You know, I know my dad left when I was a small boy, but we've been trying to keep in contact for the last 21 years and it's still difficult. And I found myself just throughout this week, just lost in my thoughts. So even as I prepared for this message, all these other things were kind of clouding my clarity. And I would read through the passage, I would pray through it, I would look to other sources, and there was just this disconnect. On one end, super excited for what God's doing. And on the other end, just sad. So I stepped out and I spoke with Nate and Jared. Nate so eloquently plays the piano here, and Jared's up there somewhere, I don't know, in the background with production. And I said, guys, you know, it's really tough for me right now to get clarity on this message. I know this might be a little bit unorthodox, but could you read through it and maybe just like throw something my way? So as I was trying to refine my message, I found myself staring at the pages. And Nate and Jared stepped out into this space and he said, you know, we get it, Nathan. We, know, we understand it's hard for you right now. And here's a few things that we see. And Nate could see the first verse giving us this lens to the rest of the passage as I've just been explaining to you. And we discussed a bit, and it was super helpful for me to get just the rest of that clutter out of the way. But even more than wrestling through a passage, you may be wrestling through life right now. Maybe you don't believe in God at all, and you have a hard time figuring out all that's happening in your life. The world is telling you there is no God, and is only giving you this one-sided story. They're trying to help you lean into believe in yourself and do everything yourself. The lie that leaves you destroyed where there's nothing left to lean on. Well, when our vision is clouded with the struggles of life, when we feel like we haven't been dealt a fair hand, when the bills are piling up and we feel exhausted, or your kids are frustrating you to no end and you have no idea when you're going to spend another day without yelling at them, when your faith is feeling shallow and you, can, you can't even figure out how to give others counsel, when you feel so empty and need someone else to fill up your tank and you have no way to pour into others, but you're still being called upon to do that, you need to take a step back and you need to lean into the Lord. Lean into a passage like today and see life through a clear lens. Lean into others and allow them to help. And all are very willing to help in these circumstances. When I went to Nate and Jared, they weren't like, no, we're not going to help you. Get lost. I have music things to do. <laughs> they didn't do that at all. No, they're like, we understand. And it's okay to ask for help. It's not weakness. It's actually strength. So verse 2 to 8 says this. So God is in control of everything in verse 2 to 8. Verse 2, I chose the appointed time. Verse 3, I hold the earth together. Verse 4 to 6, to the proud, I tell them to stop. Verse 7, I judge and bring down the proud. Verse 7, the second half of it, B, I lift up the people in their place. Verse 8, I'm the one that will judge the wicked. Verse 9, give God praise because you do none of what I just listed. They're thankful for all that God does. And verse 10, lastly, reminds you again, it's God that has the final word, not man for the wicked and for the righteous. You know, often in the Bible, there is like this cultural gap uh, that we have to get across from what's happening in the psalm 
and what was written to what is happening today. And we ought to be careful so we don't kind of like use God's words and get them out of context. Uh, sometimes the gap is easy. So there's verses that say, husbands, love your wives. Okay, I'm a husband. Uh, and the person that they're speaking to is a husband. Oh, sweet, easy gap, very small bridge. I should love my wife. Then there are times like this in Psalm 75 where the Israelites are being attacked. Uh, they're in an ancient time. They essentially have to fight for everything. But God is still the same in that. Tether yourself to that, that God is still the same God. And that gap is really, really, really small because he doesn't change. So we're going to dig a bit deeper in verse 1. And I want to spend a considerable amount of time in this portion of Scripture um, before we move on. Thankfulness is where we ought to start. It's the lens we need, we must put on before moving forward. When we look to God's word, when we can see that we ought to be thankful for all he does, we can see that and understand that, that he's the one in control. He's the one in control of everything. We ought to be thankful that the Lord is the one in control, that we're not the ones in control. So my first point for you note takers out there, I see Micah, you have your notebook out. <laughs> Our first point is we ought to be thankful for what God has done. So Psalm 75, verse 1, in, you may not have heard this translation before, but the complete Jewish Bible translation says this. We give thanks to you, God. We give thanks. Your name is near, and people tell of your wonders. The Israelites would have seen many wonders. Uh, food coming from heaven, uh, being freed from 400 years of slavery, overcoming massive armies with just a small amount of men, and, to stay, and then they stand and they give thanks. They give thanks to God because of all the things that he's done. There are a couple areas here I want to hit on. We must understand that it was God who freed them. It was God who parted the sea. It was God who helped them defeat their enemies. But, but, it was the Israelites who stood up and thanked him. They give thank you. They give thanks. Why include this? Why even say thank you? I want to bring it down a couple notches. Why do you say thank you to someone who's opened the door for you? Well, because they held the door for you and you don't have to strain yourself. And when you get to my age, you'll probably hurt your back or something if you open a door. Why say thank you to a driver who let you in on the highway? Because it was the driver who allowed you to squeeze in. It was the driver who allowed... They didn't have to do that. It was their kindness that allowed you to move up. And did you know it had absolutely nothing to do with you? Do you know when I let someone in on the highway, I don't first interview them? Hey, Jim. Do you drink? <laughs> like, no, you let them in. They could be a murderer for all you know. Thanks, no problem. I have to murder someone. Like, you have no idea. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Amen. But, but the Israelites recognize what God has done for them, and they reflect on what he's done. And in this, they're thankful. When was the last time you sat down and reflected on what God has done in your life? and had a posture of thankfulness. You know, the odd thing about thankfulness is it doesn't come naturally. 
We can know and see all the things God has done, yet stand in a place where we're not even thankful. When we actually begin to complain about the things that God has entrusted us or given to us. Man, I hate my job. Oh, I can't wait for my children to go to school, college, get out of the house. Oh, my husband, he's so annoying. Or on the opposite end, oh, I can't wait to get away for the weekend with the guys so I don't have to listen to my wife. You know, none of these things come from a thankful heart. None of them. Now, Chris Stefanik said something very simple in his book, Living Joy. Some of the harshest words in Scripture aren't actually addressed to murderers or adulterers, but the ungrateful. In Ecclesiastes, it says this, A man may have a hundred children, this is from Chris's book, and live many years. Yet no matter how long he lives, if he cannot enjoy his prosperity, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. It comes without meaning. So did you hear that? You'd be better off dead if you have blessings and don't enjoy them. Ouch, that's harsh, says Chris. But isn't that you sometimes? Half your daily stress comes from you complaining about juggling your many blessings, your children, managing your home, scheduling your time with your family and friends. We ought to start from a place of gratitude. If we walk through life grateful of all circumstances, and I mean all, all of them, your dad dying, the struggle you're going through in your life, all circumstances, grateful for everything that we've been given, then life will be better. Because I say so? No. Because God's Word says so. Because God's Word shows us examples over and over again. There are whole psalms just written on gratitude. This is how we ought to walk through life. This is how the psalmist begins this passage with gratitude. And a big part of it is understanding that we are not the ones in control. We're not. We're not the ones that are actually responsible for all we have. And I want to swing over to Job for a second. And if this doesn't put you and I in our place, well, I really don't know what else will. So Job 38, 1 to 11 says this. Who is this? Darkening my plans with ignorant words. Stand up like a man and brace yourself. I will ask questions and give you answers. This is God speaking to Job after Job questioned the goodness of God over and over again. And don't forget, Job's whole family was decimated. All of his cattle were taken away. Everything was taken away from him. It was just him, and at this point, he had boils all over his body. He felt like he was going to die. He was questioning God, and God said, all right, gird up your loins, and I'm going to start asking questions, and let's see if you can answer them. Where were you when I founded the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Do you know who determined its dimensions or stretched the measuring line across it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid the cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Who shut up the sea behind closed doors when it gushed forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its blanket and dense fog its swaddling cloth? When I made the breakers and its boundaries and set its gates and bars and said, you may come this far, but no further. Here your proud waves must stop. You know, if we don't understand that God is in control of everything and we are not, we're sitting in a bad place. 
We ought to be grateful for what the Lord has given us. Even if we're sitting on, a, on our deathbed, we ought to be grateful for all the time that the Lord has given us. I'm going to play a lyric video. Not yet. I'll let you know, Connor. It's I Am They called Gratitude. And I want to play this song just to close off this point of gratitude. And as it's playing, I want you to just, just look at the words. If you want to sing along, you can sing along if you like it. But just reflect on the words. It's about four minutes or so. Um, my sermon wasn't long enough, so I had to add in four minutes. No, I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. But uh, so Connor's going to play this, and then I'll come back. All my words fall short. I got nothing new. How could I express all my gratitude? I could sing these songs as I often do, but every song must Just one move with my arms stretched wide. I will worship you. So I throw my hands and praise you again and again. Cause all that I have is a high. Nothing 
Gratitude is powerful. It allows you to enjoy the blessings the Lord has given. It allows you to share with others what the Lord is doing. It's contagious just as much as negative thinking and living are. I've been doing something really, I don't know, different lately in public. Um, When I see someone serve me, I smile. I know this is strange, but like, a, like almost a forced smile, like, like not like, <laughs> but like, like, thank you. And you know what's strange? You get a lot of smiles back. And we were at the Jays game the, the one week, and uh, the one girl um, at the counter was like serving ice cream and stuff, and she dropped a bottle of pop, and the guy in front of me was, he was a bit grumpy. Um, and I noticed that, and then so I asked her, you know, how are you doing? And she was like, yeah, I'm fine, whatever, what do you want? And I was like, okay. Uh, And I asked for a little, you know, baby helmet filled with ice cream, because I'm just a giant child. And and then after it, I said, thank you, and you know what, you're doing an amazing job. And I gave her a high five. And you should have seen this uh, young lady, she just like, like exploded with joy. She was just like, thank you so much. You made my day. But we can impact so many people, and especially with gratitude. God calls us to be grateful and shows us plenty of examples of being grateful. So I challenge you this week. I challenge you to be grateful for all that's going on. Be grateful for the things that are good and for the things that are not good. Because the Lord is the one who's in control and knows exactly what we need. We ought to be thankful for what God has done. So Psalm 75 verse 2 says this, you say, I choose the appointed time, it is I who judge with equity. So our second point is this, God is in control and we ought to be thankful for his assurance. Let's see how this verse shows this. When you read through this verse, what's this all about? For the Israelites, this would have lifted the burden off them, right? And they would have been in a place of thinking, oh, so even in this turmoil, even when we think the whole world is going to a certain place in a very big basket, God is still in control. But when we look through these passages with gratitude, we are able to see how amazing God is, how big God is, how he's the one that's actually doing it all, and we don't have to carry this burden. When we try to play God in a situation, we're taking on a burden that's just not meant for us. This weight can be overwhelming because, you know what? It was never your responsibility in the first place. Why worry about when God is coming back to judge? When you read verse 2, it says, I choose the appointed time. It is I who judge with equity. Does the New Testament not say, let tomorrow worry about tomorrow? Doesn't it say that God feeds the birds? And are you not more greater than the birds? He created you in his image, for goodness sakes. You don't have to worry about what you're going to eat or drink. God is going to care for you. 
Well, don't worry about when the end is coming either. I choose the appointed time, God says. When we sit back and we give that up to God, is it not a smaller burden for us? Let us be thankful that we are not the ones that need to shoulder this. You know, some of us out here are worriers. Do we have any worriers in here? Any hands? Hands? Yeah, worriers? Yeah, we got some worriers. I'm like in that camp. I could have like $57,000 in my bank account and still think that my mortgage is going to bounce. Worriers. Where you worry about everything. And at times, you know, it's, it's overwhelming. And in fact, it's so overwhelming that it's killing you. And it's killing you because it's not your burden. God says he's the one choosing the appointed time. So there's this article I was reading that speaks about worry, and it says this. Just in case... Just in case God's word isn't enough for you, I'm going to tell you an article written by man. What happens with excessive worrying? Worrying is feeling uneasy or being overly concerned about a situation or a problem. With excessive worrying, your mind and body go into overdrive as you constantly focus on what might happen. In the midst of excessive worrying, you may suffer from high anxiety, even panic during waking hours. And many chronic worriers feel... Tell the feeling of a sense of impending doom or unrealistic fears that only increase their worries even more. You're like worrying about the worry, about the worry, about the worry that you're worrying about. This ultra-sensitive environment they end up being in. They're sensitive to criticism of others. Excessive worriers may see anything and anyone as a potential threat. Chronic worrying can affect your daily life so much that it may interfere with your, your appetite, your lifestyle, your relationship, your sleep, your job performance. And many people who worry excessively are so anxiety-ridden that they seek relief in other things. What are those things that you know that people seek relief in? Alcohol, drugs, cigarette smoking, overeating, all those things, right? All those things. So we come to a place where God says, don't worry about it. I control everything. I know everything. You don't. And he says, I'm going to take care of you. And I'm now telling you, I'm in control, and you don't have to be. But we all, myself included, feel the need to do everything on our own because we know somehow that we are better, that we are smarter, and we know much more than the God of the universe. Even though we don't say it out loud, our actions may precede us and show that that's what we actually believe. Instead of being indignant with life and all the blessings and areas where God cares for us, we ought to be thankful for all that God does. Through, the, through this thankfulness, we can actually take off our blinders and see that, oh, he's the one in control. Lastly, rest in and praise the Lord for all that he does. When looking at the next verses, they really speak to those moments where it feels like everything is falling apart. Everything in life is just not going the way it should. And in this, we must trust the Lord and try not to fix it all ourselves. When catastrophe hits, our first spot to go isn't usually prayer. It's like, all right, how can we fix this? You don't sit down with your family and say, all right, everyone, gather around, let's pray. Although that should be what we do. 
Psalm 75, 3 to 8 says this, when the earth and all its people quake, it is I who hold the pillars firm. To the arrogant, I say, boast no more. To the wicked, don't lift up your horns. Do not lift up your horns against heaven. And horns there, folks, is strength. That's what that means. It means strength. Do not speak so defiantly. No one from east or west or from the desert exalts themselves. It is God who judges. He brings down. He exalts. In the hand of the Lord is a cup of foaming wine mixed with spices. He pours it out. And all the wicked of the earth drink it down to its very dregs. Don't miss this. In each spot, God says, it is I. To the arrogant, I say. To the wicked, I say. It is I who pours this out. It is God who judges. It is God. It is the Lord who pours the cup. It doesn't say Nathan in there. When all the earth and all its people quake, it's Nathan who holds its pillars firm. No. No. To the arrogant, Nathan says this. Although we could insert our name in there, right? when we're the ones doing the judging. Do not get lost in all the calamity of these verses, lost in the, you know, the spices and the foam. But look at the overall message that the psalmist is trying to get across here, which God is trying to get across. And in one commentary, it says this, the Lord is in control, even when it seems that everything's falling to pieces. So the quaking of the earth and the people is a metaphor for the erosive effects of evil. The arrogant live without regard for God's commands. Their autonomy expresses itself directly against God as they lift up their horn against heaven. The Lord pours out his judgment on the wicked like the contents of a bowl, and they just can't escape it. They can't escape his judgment. God's in control. God is the one that holds the earth together even when everything seems to be going wrong and in the wrong direction. Do we not see that today? Do we not see that in our culture right now? Everything is falling to pieces. The quaking of the earth and the peoples is a metaphor, the erosive effects of evil. Do you not see the erosive effects of evil on our world right now? Where everyone's all confused and doesn't know what to do and where to go and what's up and what's down and what's right and what's wrong? But even in this, God's in control. What's the psalmist trying to say here? He's trying to say, do not worry, brother or sister in Christ. Do not carry the burden of worry when everything is falling apart. Be comforted that God's in control. Even when those that are lifting up their strength against God know that it's God who will be the judge. We all know this all too well. We all know this all too well in our families, in our world. But, and this is big, we need to rest and praise the Lord even when everything seems to be crumbling around us. So from this like micro level, in your own spirit, yourself, you, when you feel like your life is crumbling around you, when you feel like your, your faith is weak, rest in the Lord. And then when you look like to another, like think of concentric circles, 
So the next circle is like your family and your relationship with your family. When you feel like that's all crumbling around you, you guys are always fighting, everything is going wrong all the time, you guys just can't seem to get things right, rest in that God is in control. And then as you go out, you know, to your church community or the communities that you're part of, and as you go out from your town and then your province and your, your country and your world, know that God's in control of all those things. And we cannot possibly be in control of all that. Psalm 75, 9 to 10 says this, As for me, I will declare this forever. I will sing praise to God who says, I will cut off the horns of all the wicked, but the horns of the righteous will be lifted up. Verse 9 is, even through all this calamity, I will declare this forever and sing praise. And 10 reminds us that, you know what? God has the final say. He's the one that lifts up the righteous and he's the one that tears down the wicked. I have a quick story for you to finish off today about someone who's gone through some crazy, crazy calamity, yet still she rested in the Lord. Barbara Carey wasn't a believer in 1958, you know, a few years before I was born, when a friend asked her if she would come and read the Bible together with her. And so she'd never read the Bible before. So she went and she read the Bible and she was, she was excited to learn about God's Word and then she came to Christ. And shortly after she had come to Christ, Barbara graduated university and she set off to Israel and she was like picking olives and figs and whatever other vegetables and fruit. Those are not vegetables. Uh, in Israel. But while she was there, she decided to go take a trip to India. And while she was in India, she would ask this after leaving, why would God allow so much suffering in the world? Why did good, innocent people suffer so much evil and corruption? Where is his justice and mercy? How can his goodness be reconciled with the fact that thousands were perishing? And in India, so many of those perishing were children. All this kind of began to tarnish Barbara's view of Christianity. She came in knowing Christ, and then she went to Israel, and everything was amazing. She walked where Jesus walked, all of this, and it was all very romantic. And then she saw the destruction in the world, and it really started to tarnish her view. And in 1965, Barbara moved back to the U.S., and she got married, and she had three children, Kimberly, Lance, and Troy. And she adopted this sweet girl from Cambodia, Kuita. And they lived a fairly normal American life, probably like many of you. Kids went to hockey. Uh, they had their daughters were in uh, cheerleading. They lived like the American life, right? Nothing was really uh, disturbing them. Everything was good. Then in July 1984, it's actually around the time I was born, her 13-year-old son, Lance, was playing a game with his brother, Troy, and he took Troy's sock. And he was like, ah, Troy, I got your sock. And he took it and he threw it up on the garage roof. And Troy was like, Dad, Lance, why'd you take my sock? He's like, fine, I'll go up and I'll get it. So Lance goes up on a ladder, he gets up on the roof, falls off, lands on his head. Lance dies in the hospital eight days later. Barbara slowly sunk into depression. 
1986, her husband, who could not accept the fact that his wife was still struggling with the death of, his, of their son, left her. Her husband and son were gone forever. And if that's not enough, in 1988, Kimberly, her oldest daughter, was struggling with her brother's death. And on Mother's Day, she gave her mom a card. And she said, Mom, I'm going to go to the hospital. I really need, I need help. I'm really struggling with, with my brother's death. She never made it to the hospital. She got in a car accident on the way, and she died. She crashed her car. Barbara sat in disbelief of what was happening around her. And while they were sitting in the kitchen, her son Troy was just eating, and he left the room. And Kui Ta said to her, Mom, am I next? The pain seemed impossible to endure, says Barbara. It was piercing and at times dull and numb at others. Everything was darkness. Why does God allow such suffering, she would ask. Yet deep in her mind, Barbara knew this was not really the point. No, the point was that God himself was the answer to all their questions. Barbara needed him more than ever, and she knew it. Barbara said this after all that she had been through. Her son dying, her husband leaving her, and her daughter dying. She said, I wanted to know Jesus before, back when I was young. He answered all my heart's desire. But I, you know, I didn't have to travel all over the world to find him. He's here, even in my pain. I know him in the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. I would never have chosen the path my life has taken. Then again, no one necessarily likes taking up their cross daily. But loss forces me to do that every day. And in doing so, I feel his touch on my wounds. And that's enough. Loved ones, it starts with gratitude. And when we sit in a place of gratitude, we find ourselves, we find ourselves saying, I've got one response. I've got just one move. With my arms stretched wide, I'll worship you. Be thankful for what God has done. God is in control. We ought to be thankful for his assurance. Rest in and praise the Lord for he's in control. And through all this, we sit in a place where I'm thankful and express my gratitude when I understand God is in control.